Welcome to this week's episode of How We Get By. In this episode, I spoke with my friend Mary Pat. I know Mary Pat because in 2015, I believe, I co-organized a TEDx Youth Conference and her daughter was one of the speakers. I will put the link to her TEDx talk in the show notes. But it was a really cool experience to get to know the family. And I was really happy to have Mary Pat on the show because it's been quite the conversation um, to learn, you know, a bit about her background and then hear probably one of the most interesting legendary love stories I've ever heard so I'll let you get right into it I hope that you enjoy the show hi I'm here with Mary Pat Mary Pat has uh, taken the time to speak with me today a little bit about how she's getting by Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself sure so I am Mary Pat um live here uh, in Scranton. I am the executive director of the Office of Economic and Community Development for the city of Scranton. So that's like a mouthful. (laughs) Really, at the end of the day, my job, very lucky, uh, is to be able to help people, um, which, um, you know, when I talk about my background a little bit, you understand why, I guess. That's so very important to me is to be able to help people, especially people that are really struggling and in need. It's important that we're able to help each other, and I get to do that for a living. So I am lucky. I'm married to uh, my husband, Doug. We've been married only a little bit over a year, but we've been together 10 years now, and we've known each other since we were like 10 years old. Yeah, and and I have a daughter, Izzy, who is 16, and she is currently a sophomore, well, whenever we see school again, she is, oh, yeah. <laughs> she's, yeah, she's, she's in 10th grade, and so, yeah, so that's me now, some of my history, I know that kind of delving into that a little bit can kind of help, I think, provide an opportunity to know uh, where I come from. I come from a family of eight kids, the youngest of uh, uh, late-in-life parents. My dad, and I didn't know this until I was a little bit older, but my dad was uh, diagnosed with manic depression and anxiety, and that makes so much sense now as an adult. As, as a kid, I didn't... I knew that he was different than other dads, but I, I didn't... Obviously, you don't understand the context of that. Right. But I, but I always knew he was a little bit different. He was older than most of my friends' dads to begin with, 
but, you know, I also knew that there were other things that were different about him and certainly understood that much more and in depth as, as time went by. He struggled with that, you know, from from what I can gather from my older siblings and things like that for the majority of his life. I never, unfortunately, uh, never had a, a real chance to talk to him about those kinds of things and mm-hmm. his struggles. And so, you know, it's only what I can glean from other people. And, and like I said, it, it seems like he had dealt with that most of his life. I have a question. I, yeah. So, uh, so, I have a few questions, but I guess the one that I'm thinking of right now is just, well, first, like, when you were a child, you said, like, you kind of knew, like, you know, your dad had was a little bit different, but, like, as a child, can you, are you willing to kind of just explain that a little bit more? Just, like, what you... Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, that's part of, I think that part of that education, understanding everyone's human and everyone comes from different backgrounds and raised differently, so um, he didn't... During any of my, like, memories, he, I knew from the time I was born um, until I was, like, five or six, he did have a job, but most of my memories included him being home. It was referred to him being retired, that he was, like, done with working because he was older, but he was only in his 50s. But as a kid, I just, because he was older than a lot of my friends' parents, so I just was like, oh, he's retired because he's older. But I think there came a point with some physical ailments and his mental health issues that he no longer could work. Okay. So, so he was home, and so that, that proved interesting. My mom worked full-time. There were moments in his depression and anxiety that... You know, I saw as a child growing up and didn't realize there were some uh, OCD and, you know, things like he made lists about everything. Like, everything had to be a list and, like, things had to be a certain way on the table. Mm -hmm. I think that's how some of his anxiety manifested. And then there were times where he would just sit in a dark room and and stare at a wall and, Mm -hmm. and not be really kind to anybody and and say some really mean and, and cruel things, and especially when he was in his, you know, manic, depressive moment. So, um, so do you think that he knew that he had uh, bipolar? or? Um... Oh, I absolutely. I believe um, once I got older and I was in high school, and, and, you know, part of my story with that, too, is, he definitely spent time in mental health facilities okay. uh, uh, even before I was born and and then after my mom passed away. So it, I think he knew for many years. I think sometimes he was able to control it through medication and therapy, and other times I think he had a harder time controlling that. And I don't know if maybe the medicine wasn't working or he stopped taking it during one of his moments or maybe therapy wasn't working. It's hard to tell because I was so young, I didn't understand the nuances. And then by the time I was old enough, he passed away by the time I was 19. So Mm -hmm. I never really got to have any time with him as an adult to kind of hear from him his struggles Mm -hmm. and why even in the 80s, 90s, and the early 2000s, 
with with help available, I don't think he always took advantage of help. And so when you realized, like when you were old enough to kind of conceptualize and realize mental health struggles and so how did that change your view of your dad? And um, were, were there times where you felt resentful towards him? Like when, I mean, he died, like, so it seems like it was pretty um, tumultuous in, in some ways. And then, you know, he dies at a young age. So, um, so that has to be hard. <laughs> Yeah, so my mom, who was really, I mean, the the caregiver, um, even though she was the one that worked full-time, um, he would have his moments, but he wasn't like a true caregiver in that sense for a variety of reasons. She passed away very quickly when I was in eighth grade. So that barrier that I had between my life and my world and my dad was gone. She was gone. And uh, a decision was made through the family. He really couldn't be on his own. And my siblings had, you know, were raising young families of their own. We were spread out in multiple states. And so along the way, there was a decision that I would stay with him, even though he really wasn't a caretaker. Oh, wow. Um, and I, you know, and two at 13, you know, I was 13. I didn't want to leave my friends and my life. So it, it becomes, it becomes really kind of complicated because ultimately I become his caregiver. Yeah. It started off, it wasn't like one day, you know, I was a child and the next day I was taking care of him full time. It happened over a period of a couple of years. He maintained, he was doing some parenting. I mean, he, he. He, I think he really legitimately did put in an effort for a while and tried, but I just don't think he he, he wasn't able to sustain it, mm-hmm. especially as his physical ailments increased. And I think the, the mental anguish of my mother passing away superseded any sort of chance he had at, at having anything resembling a normal life after that. He was so absolutely devastated. He he just never truly recovered from that. And that manifested itself in his mental illnesses that he had, new ones that were created, and, and, and then, you know, physical am, ailments as well. It just all kind of came together in, like, a cluster, if and, you will. And you're in the middle um, of the cluster. Yeah. Oh. So, so I, um, so it, it wound up getting pretty crazy by the time I was a teenager. And that's kind of where I had started exhibiting some and having my own mental health issues yeah. through the loss of through the loss of my mom, being a teenage girl without having that, you know, motherly influence at home. Um, And with a dad that tried sometimes, but like he, even when he was trying, he, he wasn't ever, I don't think hitting a baseline. Sometimes he was doing good for who he was, but it was never adequate. Yeah. So I, well, okay. So I do want to, obviously I want to get into the things that you've struggled with mental health wise, but I do want to ask you, like, how is your relationship with your other siblings then? So you're, you're there by yourself, right? 
with yeah. with him. And so now I know they're older. So how did that kind of go? So it it it's one of those it's complicated. So mm-hmm. I had seven siblings older than I. My dad had been married previously, and my mom had been married previously, and each had children. And so all of my siblings were uh, half-siblings, if you will. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, My oldest sister was 26 when I was born. And then going all the way to the fact that I had a sister that was 13 when I was born. So she was still in the house. There were some siblings still in the house when I was born. Do a big gap, though, you know, like... Yeah, it was a huge gap. So it's weird when I, I can, it's a weird world where I can say I'm one of eight kids, but was very much an only child at the same time. Yeah, (laughs) it really, that's what I keep picking up on. Like, it just seems like you were really like alone to your own devices and you had to be the parent a lot. So yeah, so I guess this is a good way um, for us to segue into you explaining a little bit about the mental health struggles that you have gone through personally. Sure. So I, I struggled, I think one of my first mental health struggles and, and it long, the longest lasting, I think out of all of them was issues with self-esteem. I think, you know, they came into play from the parenting styles of my parents. And, and how children were raised. They raised children starting in the 50s and 60s and then was raising me in the 80s. Yeah. And there was a lot of different parenting styles in those 30 years about <laughs> yeah. what was acceptable and what later became unacceptable parenting styles. But I, you know, had parents that were older. So um, that, I think, shapes who I am as a person. And so the when the low self-esteem came in, and clearly was there and out into the world. I don't, you know, my mom only probably saw a little bit of it because she was gone by the time I was 13. And certainly my father wasn't in any capacity to to help me. He couldn't even help himself. Um, and my siblings were around, um, but like not on a daily basis. And I certainly learned, uh, I consider it like, I call it survivor mode, um, learned how to be a chameleon and know when to put on a brave face because with all the uncertainty going on, I think if I had said anything to anyone about how truly bad it was when it was happening sometimes at home with my dad, they would have absolutely stepped in. It wouldn't have been easy, but I think they they really would have Mm -hmm. uh, stepped in, but I was so afraid of what that change could be, which Mm -hmm. would be me having to go someplace else and starting over again. Uh, and that was the idea to me was abhorrent because I was already having, like in a place I was familiar with, I was already having issues. So I, we moved from New Jersey to Pennsylvania uh, when I was in fourth grade. And in New Jersey, I was part of a community where I went to a Catholic school, I did cheerleading, I did basketball, I had my group of friends, we rode our bikes, we were really active, and I had a life. And then when we moved up to Pennsylvania in a rural area, it was very hard for me to fit in. I was very, I was different. I wore different kinds of clothes. I had like my hair cut short, which... 
that was like not a thing girls did. I know. Oh my lord, Mary Pat. Me too. I got made fun of. People call. I'm sorry to interject, but like people. No, no. This is good. I want it. Yeah. <laughs> people would call me Manica. Uh huh. They called me. They would always. They would clearly. I was a girl. I mean, there was no way that like you would. And they'd be like, "Are you a girl or a boy?" Yeah. Same. Like what? I have short hair. Like this is, you know, like it was such a, it was such a like a weird thing. I agree. Um, I I agree because I lived it, and I used to like experiment with my hair. So there would be like several times I'd go back and forth, and you really would get a different reaction when you had short hair. Yes, when I it was like a, it was so crazy pants in regards to just something like walking into a fourth grade classroom with short hair. Yeah. And I'm not like exa- like it like changed the trajectory of what like my life was yeah. in regards to even like I wound up like I said I was a cheerleader I was on the basketball team kind of thing in this community in New Jersey and I probably would have continued that things that I liked and things that I were that I was involved in I think like it wound up and I think for some in in a good way I wound up being like on the fringes if you will mm-hmm. and then meeting alternative friends because my hair was short um <laughs> and I think it kind of led me you know like to where I went through high school and and the things that I was into um but it's just so funny how something simple like that um could you know Jeez. how kids can be like it was just the short hair and then in fifth grade I went through puberty at like 11 oh wow so so right so all of a sudden I was getting boobs and I had my period and I didn't know like what the heck was going on mm-hmm. and so when you're in fifth grade parents that are older and that like don't get it and it's like stuff that you don't necessarily talk about it it was a crazy time and I started to gain weight at that point appropriately probably for the time going through puberty but because a lot of a lot of the other kids hadn't gone through it yet I started getting made fun of for being fat and that really changed the trajectory of my life Mm -hmm. I mean that to this day how that all began and and how that really molded who I am as a person, even to this day. I mean, it was, I mean, terrible things, you know, no, telling me I should die and oh being called Mary Fat instead of oh. Mary Pat. Like, there were, like, it was, it was cruel. There came a time where... It was really interacting with my studies at school and stuff, into which I was being bullied. My parents, pretty much, at the time, my mom was still alive. She was like, you need to fight back. And I'm like, what? I was like the most passive child. Yeah. (laughs) She, She was like, no, you need to fight back. I'm like, what does that even, like, what does that mean? She's like, I'm not going to tell you that part. You just got to figure it out. I can't get another call from the school that you're crying or that there's issues. And so I started to create, if you will, a different persona. It was my way of protecting myself, I think. So I became like scrappy Mary Pat. And that also continued for many years. This is so fascinating. Yeah, to the point that, like, there was a 
a girl that kind of was the leader of the pack with some with a lot of it. I wound up, I remember in seventh grade, I lost it the one day because I was getting it from her and her friends and I was getting it from home, you know, that my parents were telling me to stand up for myself and that, you know, the school at that time, you know, it's such a different world now. And I'm so glad that for my daughter that we're in such a different world, but they didn't always take things seriously back then or... And, and so I was kind of left to my own devices. So for me to protect myself, I had to become violent. And Pat, I have know. a story. I have a story. Okay. <laughs> so before we get into yours, I just want to tell you this because so, I think it's going to help you understand like that sometimes you do. I don't know. I, um, I was bullied pretty badly in high school. There was just this time where, like, there would be two uh, people in... So there were two tables of, like, kind of, like... I don't know if you want to say popular people, whoever, whatever you want to call them. And then we're in the middle, like, my table. And they had this game of throwing food back and forth to each other, but it would just hit us. And And this was, like, you know, this was, like, pretty petty. But there were, like, times of, like, really mean stuff, too. And, like, names being called and, like, things that you've said... And so I was at my breaking point and I I was literally just kidding. I'm like, I'm going to, I had rice pudding that day and I opened it and I said to the rest of my table, literally kidding, like, if somebody hits me with a piece of food, this is going flying today. I like found out later that I believe it was a Rice Krispie treat that was like rolled up, but something like clocked me in the head and I thought it was an orange. So I just like lost it and I was like, what the fuck? And I like stood up and I threw it at um, the table and if I hadn't cursed, it would have hit them, but they ducked. And yeah, like I don't, I don't know. It just like, and then, but then from that point on, I really did. And this is hard because I don't know what the right way to deal with bullying is, and I don't want to condone throwing food. And my right. parents certainly, my parents personally weren't very happy <laughs> with the way I handled sure. the situation. Um, but there is something to be said to like, I never got hit with food again after. So I don't know. That's, yeah. So I think. I, I like people get to their breaking point and I definitely got to mine and I took a desk and like like pushed it into this girl so that she got knocked down mm-hmm. then all of a sudden the school was interested mm-hmm. and I remember us fighting back and forth the girl and I we both got in school suspension and couldn't go on our seventh grade field trip (laughs) where we were like on this like riverboat thing to Lake Hiawatha in like I don't know like that's like some place in New Jersey I don't I so I remember getting into the fight with her and then we were both in in school suspension and couldn't (laughs) couldn't go on our seventh grade field trip and I was fit to be tied because at that point I that that mistrust of of authority figures, you know, in regards yeah. to like these people aren't here to protect me. They clearly knew I'd already been in the office for bullying for this very person. All of a sudden, you know, I fight back, and all you know now they're involved. 
I know, and also you're being punished when, like, you're a kid who really needed that field trip. Right. Like, and so it, none of it made sense. It doesn't make sense to adult Mary Pat, let alone, you know, seventh grade Mary Pat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So what becomes interesting, and this is, like, the dichotomy of, like, you know, the nuances of being a teenager. So that was, like, seventh grade. And thankfully, my summers, I kind of got to be re-energized through, got to spend time with my family in New Jersey, so got to get away for a little bit, and then there was a wonderful place, uh, my brother-in-law had his mother, she had a place up in the mountains close to where we lived, actually not that far down the road, and we spent glorious summers picking blueberries and swinging in a hammock and just being able to be a kid, and, nice. and I'm so thankful and grateful for those periods of time. In, in that magical place. So when I came back in, in eighth grade, it did it started right away, especially being in a rural area. We were on the bus. I was on the bus with my arch nemesis for like 45 minutes before we even got to school, yeah. let alone the whole school day and back, right? Yeah. So it was, it could be treacherous. I had gum in my hair, all sorts of crazy, crazy stuff would happen. And then this, and then my mom passed away in October of my eighth grade year. So I was off for a full week of school, and then I was back to school because that's what you did back. Then. <laughs> oh, your mom passed away. You're good in a week. Go I right know. back to school. Um, so I went back to school, and this is the weird thing. And I like it's like one of those things. I became popular because my mom passed away. <laughs> I can't. I can't tell you why or wrap my head around it, but I had, like, I came back, and then all of a sudden, those people that, like, bothered me, and I would, you know, like, like, all of a sudden, we were, like, friends. Interesting. It's weird. It's just so weird. I can't even explain it. Do you think that your mom was, like, do you think your mom was, like, pulling some strings behind the scenes and was just kind of, like, okay, like... Here's my parting yeah. gift. Like I maybe <laughs> yeah. Like I had to leave her, but like maybe I can help her in some sort of cosmic way. Yeah. So I I come back to school and now I have like all of these friends and like I'm getting like notes passed to me and getting invited to like different things and going to school dances. Wow. Like it was right. So that idea that like there was almost a reward for my mom passing away, which is really weird when you kind of think about it in that context, that my life, at least in school, into a selfish, you know, when you're so narcissistic at that age, appropriately narcissistic, you know, I think during that time when you're discovering yourself, my mom's passing allowed me to be cool, which is such an odd, odd thing. Yeah, Um, for sure. And, and so it takes a little bit of a turn because the, the bullied then becomes friends with the bully and then becomes a bully. Oh my Lord. What? This is a plot twist. It it is. This is my first first plot twist. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I became an asshole. I mean... 
I started wearing like Pantera band t-shirts and piercing my ears in the bathroom during study oh. hall. It wait, Mary, it Matt, wait, what? You wow. pierced your ears in the bathroom during study hall? Yes, that's how I got my ears pierced. Oh. I, by um, yourself, or did you have friends around? No, I had, like, that weird group of, like, people. These are, like, hardcore kids. Let I me tell say. you, they've already lived a life. So all of a sudden, you know, I was this per- I'd already It already started happening in regards to, like, fighting back a little bit and being a little mouthy. But then, like, I really just, like, leaned into it, uh-huh. you know? Mm-hmm. Started dyeing my hair and, well, like, quite, wear, an, I mean, wear quite, an eyeliner. Quite honestly, it's like the first time you had friends. So, of course, yeah. you're going to lean in, you know? So, it was an odd time. It becomes infamous at this point, especially among the people I've gone to school with, is that one of the people that I bullied is now my husband. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Yeah, I even, I had created a nickname for him. It was like was not kind to this so okay so can we take a brief uh detour i guess and you can tell us how you got back on good terms with your husband sure so it before i went to the dark side if you will um (laughs) douglas uh we were in the same when i moved up to pa we were in the same fourth grade class mr capone's class uh (laughs) at um South Elementary through at Wall and Paul Pack. And then when my parents, we had, when my parents moved up to PA, oh my goodness, so funny, some of the, the stories, some very funny things too, not all sad. They were looking for land because they wanted to purchase land and put like module, a modular home or like a double wide trailer, kind of like on a piece of property. We were renting for a while we rented out a cabin that used to be part of like Boy Scout camp. And that was, oh my goodness, very, very wild for a short amount of time. So, you know, I was like a little suburban Jersey girl in that way. And then coming up to rural Pennsylvania, when we did like our first winter was like the blizzard of 93. So like, (laughs) it was like really like crazy, you know? Um, and, and so the reason I bring all of that up is we, like I said, we had to be on the bus for long periods of time. And so we went from living there and my, my parents finally were able to find a, a property and put a double wide trailer on there. And they were all excited there was a time where they were happy, you know, yeah. and I remember that. And I look back to that fondly. There was a, it was the first time my mom was like able to pick out like new carpet for a house. Cause uh, like you got to yeah. pick the things that went into the double wide trailer. So like what the wallpaper looked like or the fact that she was able to get this like little beveled kind of like glass with like a flower in it for like one of her cabinets. Oh, so there was an nice. excitement there for a little bit. They were really happy. I had an aunt that did, like, love doing, like, home movies and stuff. And I have some home movies of my parents. And you, they were just so happy, like, that they were able to do something that they wanted to do, oh, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel that. And I can, like, look back at that. And I still, and I do look back at those fondly, you know? Yeah. Um, 
But when I moved, so I knew this boy, Doug, in fourth grade, and we continued to go to school together, but I didn't have a lot of interaction with him until we moved to that new place. And then I was on the bus with him every day. Then our, like, I had a friend, Nikki, and he had a friend, Josh, and they started dating. So we wound up being in the same space together sometimes because our friends were dating. And so I remember he asked me out in seventh grade, and I was like, no, because (laughs) I knew, as I said, it was like social suicide. Like, there was no way (laughs) that I was going there because he was he was bullied too, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, I get it though. I get it. I went to high school. I finally got like one guy. It's a long story, but I broke up with like one of the football players and I feel like I was getting like bullied for a while. It was bad, but um, yeah, I finally got like a friend to like go out with me and we went to a basketball game and literally when he dropped me off, he's like, I'm really sorry, but like, I can't handle this. I'm like, Thank you. All right. Well, I'll just be here. The cheese stands alone, I guess. Like, Yeah. <laughs> so you wind up being in like, you know, like I call it like survivor mode. And, yeah. so, and, and then over time, you know, obviously, like I said, the bully becomes friends with the bully and uh-huh. then becomes a bully herself. Mm-hmm. Bully Douglas had, like I said, bothered him for years so weird because we have a lot of because we went to school together had friends that dated for a period of time we were on senior trip together like there are all these shared memories even though we weren't friends interesting and he certainly grew to dislike me over time <laughs> and there's a, a, a an infamous story that is out there which he hates the story and of course it becomes like mythical and 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 legendary at this point is he was dating a girl in high school and you know once you got to 11th and 12th grade you drove to school if you could because to be on the bus was awful and but not everyone could afford to have like a car I certainly couldn't you know uh he had like a, a car and he was on his way to school and I used to where our bus stop was I could get on the bus earlier like why would I want to do that or if I ran through the woods down to like my neighbor's house I could get on the bus later and it was along like the main road 507 (laughs) and so what I would do is stand on the side of the road and like when I saw a familiar car I would jump out into the road in the hopes that they would give me a ride to school oh my lord So I was desperate enough that I saw Doug coming down the road with his lady and (laughs) I I jumped in the road and he tried to hit me with the car. So so thankfully his, his, his lady stopped him from killing me probably in like when we talk about like finally he was like I'm finally gonna get back at her um and and made him made him drive me to school your husband's um, ex-girlfriend saved your life yeah from your yeah. husband this is great okay that yeah. I get I get the legend of that story yeah, it, it's super crazy. So it's funny because, so after high school, I didn't talk to him for 10 years. And we were preparing for our 10-year high school reunion. And that's like when Facebook was blowing up more than just college students, like other people were g- gaining access to Facebook. 
And so we were searching out people uh, using Facebook. And I had gotten a list of a few people to reach out to, and one of them was Doug Ward on the list. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, I used to call, <laughs> and I used to call him by his first and last name all the time, like Doug Ward. Uh-huh. You know, like I would just like say it to taunt him. I don't know, because I was a terrible person. <laughs> so I reached out to him and was like, oh, my goodness, Doug Ward. And he <laughs> responded. He thought it was hysterical that I was a young mom at that point because I, you know, if that that teenage Mary Pat or whatever was never going to settle down and I was going to live a rock star lifestyle. And so fast forward 10 years, you know, like I'm a young mom. And he's like, oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, so, probably, he probably had a whole array of his own thoughts, to be honest. Yeah. So we started chatting back and forth and uh, realized that, like, oh, we were, like, human beings. Yeah. And he yeah. got real cute. And <laughs> it, it was just nice to have that connection. Like I said, we had so many shared stories that it was just having a connection with someone from the past. And he was living down in Bethlehem, but was coming up. His family was still up here. And, and so and spending time with his family and, and he would meet with his aunt regularly that uh, during uh, the beginning of 2010, he was visiting his aunt uh, in, in the hospital and we had had a snowstorm in February. I had said to him, instead of driving back to your aunt's place in Moscow, come and say hello, like stop by and, and say hello and you can meet my daughter, Izzy. And, and, and so he did. And that kind of was it. Um, wow. we've been together. Yeah. We've been together ever since. So when, when we started making it Facebook official <laughs> that like couple of months later, if you will, right. It doesn't count until it's on Facebook. Um, and people saw that we were together. There was this, there's this period of time where Doug's brother still lives like in the area into which we're from and someone, and he had mentioned the fact to someone that like, Oh, Doug is with Mary Pat now. And the response was like, wait, didn't he try and kill her when they were in high school? (laughs) Yes. So people found it so absolutely so funny and ridiculous the fact that at the end of all of this that Doug and I would be together oh yeah Um, for sure my friends thought it was funny you know our the community into which we were from thought it was hysterical (laughs) I find it Um, funny like I'm like this is amazing yeah and so we find ourselves together and he is such a, a good man and we always think about like wouldn't it have just been easier if I had just accepted fate back then but then we always think about it life would have probably been easier with all the craziness that I went through from that period of time to the point that he came back into my life but I wouldn't have had an Izzy you know and yeah, and, yeah. and I wouldn't have had some of those things that I think I needed to get us or to get me to who I am as a person. So I don't I don't ever regret all of those crazy decisions that I made. But, yeah, I'm glad that 
for whatever reason, fate brought us back together. Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like that gives you, like, even more, me, more faith and love because it's just, like, even despite all of that, like, you guys still found a way to, like, love each other. Um, yeah. And I have, like, an, I, I have, like, an interesting story with that. Uh, my sister yeah. is actually, uh, her husband now, they were set to, like, go on a date, and he stood her up. So she was, like, a bartender, and he was, like, he came in, and they met each other, and, like, they were supposed to go on a date. And, like, it's a small town, so everyone knows each other, and he stood her up. So she was basically, like, okay, screw you, like, whatever. And then time passed. She hadn't seen him in a while. And then he got into a car accident. People started, like, posting on Facebook that he died. And so it was, like, RIP. And, like, um, it just, like, spread, like, wildfire. So my... Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so everyone at that time thought he was dead. And um, she was really, really upset about it. And... Um, then, like, you know, I guess, like, went on with her life. And, and this was, like, in the beginning of Facebook. Like, I don't know that we were all, like, as connected as we are right now, you know? So, right. So somehow throughout it, like, they just, like, lost touch or I don't know. And then um, it was, like, years later, like, he just one day walked into the bar. <laughs> and, like, it was, like, he was alive. And um, lo and behold, they're married now. And they just had oh a little girl. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, uh, wild. And, um, but he says, like, that that uh, car accident changed his life. And he was very, like, he was in critical condition and all of that. And he didn't have Facebook, so he wasn't really able to be on there and be, like, spreading, like, hey, I'm not dead. So, right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he, and I think that was before, like, all of our parents and grandparents were on it. So, right, he, yeah. But he says, like, he needed to grow from that experience. And if he hadn't grown from that experience, he probably wouldn't be, you know, the person that he is today. So, it's just wild how things happen. Yeah, it, it. I think sometimes, you know, people talk about fate and, and different things like that. I, I it, It's interesting to see how, how things could happen, and sometimes there's a reason for things, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so that is, it, it, it's been pretty wild in, yeah. in regards to that. <laughs> so, yeah, so I guess, like, we got a little off track, so, so let's get back yeah. a little... Um, so you, okay, so now we're at 19, uh, your dad dies, you're kind of like, you have this uh, scrapping Mary Pat persona. Yeah. You're being mean to your current husband at that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, we, had, we had graduated, so graduating high school, I, my dad had been, uh, had transitioned by the time I was in senior, like a senior in high school to an assisted living facility. So I was still living at our at our house, um, but that wasn't going to be attainable very far into the future. I think what saved us at the time, my mom, um, I was working two jobs, part time jobs, and, and going to, like going to high school like a you know a regular kid, and well as as much as of a regular kid as I could be under the circumstances. I was going to um, say, but yeah. And, <laughs> And was receiving my the death benefit, you know, because I was at that time still in high school. But and that helped pay the mortgage, you know what I mean. Wow. But when when all of that kind of when that ends, we knew that it wasn't. There was no way that we were going to be able to maintain the house and my father being in assisted living. So 
And I wanted to go to college. I was set to be, I wanted to be a teacher. I was accepted into Penn State and gotten a scholarship and was at Penn State Hazleton for two years. My dad passed away when I was a, a freshman in college. I struggled with a lot of things, a lot of demons, those things, alcohol and drugs, and, and, and really struggled just with life in general. And it really came to a head my sophomore year in college where I was really on my own. I was an adult. Money was, was scarce. I had gotten an apartment off campus because my life was just so different. Oh, my goodness. I had this one roommate. She wasn't a bad person, but she was just like living a regular um, 19-year-old life. And I was like, at that point, like weathered and salty and was like, mm -hmm. I can't do this. Mm -hmm. uh, so I moved off campus to like an apartment because I thought that would help me exist in a better place and maybe get some space. But I, you know, I just didn't, I just wasn't ready with everything considering in my life at that time and the struggles that I was having and not really having any guidance from parents or anything like that. I just, I did not make it. And so wound up dropping out of, uh, out of college after my second year and ultimately moving back over by Lake Wall and Paul pack waitressing. And that's how I met Isabella's father and, and, and became, and became pregnant. So I was dealing with, like I said, some misuse of alcohol and drugs and mm. with the low self-esteem issues and dealing probably with some hereditary mental health issues. I cut and dealt with years of cutting. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and it took a, a lot to get past that. I it, It's so crazy. You know, obviously my daughter, Isabella, wasn't planned, but... And I think about the struggle that we had, but she literally saved my life because there was someone else that I had to think of and care about. And, and it, it really changed my trajectory, quit alcohol and drugs like cold turkey, wow. um, while I was pregnant. That's and, amazing. Yeah. And, and stopped and stopped cutting it that took me a little bit longer um but by the time she was born i was no longer cutting cutting um, is hard like it's just real like i mean i yeah. struggled with that for a long time and i know a lot of people do and and then there are times where like it's like years go by and like all i can describe is i feel like it's like when i'm literally at my last straw and then just one more thing kind of blows me over and then i'm like I don't know. I don't, I'm not, like, I, I think it's, like, an age thing and, like, a maturity and, like, growth, and I don't do that anymore, but I just do remember when that was an impulse, and um, I think it's so misunderstood from people who don't have that impulse because it just seems yeah. so bizarre, um, but when you do, it's just, it's really, it is hard to overcome. So, for for me, yeah, it, it, it you know, I obviously still bear the scars of it mm -hmm. some more than others on my one forearm you can still see some scars not a lot um they're they're light but up towards like where I could hide it better towards like um the top of my shoulder and over my shoulder the scars are really deep and I remember and because I had low self-esteem I 
always were closed to cover me up a lot, so there was never a lot of circumstances where anyone would even see my scars. But I remember I was, I had is, so I was already a parent, so in my 20s, and I must have worn like a, a, a sleeveless dress or shirt or something in the summer, you know, maybe over a bathing suit or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was with family and they're like, what the heck happened to your shoulder? And I, and I, it took me a minute. I'm like, what? And I looked and I'm like, oh my goodness. So it was like one of those moments, you know, yeah. where you, you, you know, I could have said just about anything. And I remember I, I was like, ah, whatever. You know, I was like, um, that was for me cutting. And there was just this like, what, like, you know, it, it was a very human moment. And I think it it gave pause to my family, I think for, for recognizing maybe some of the things I had gone through. Wow. So yeah. Wow. So what was their reaction? Was it supportive or? It was sadness in regards to, I think for them, and we talk about it a little bit now because we're, we're kind of away from the events that happened throughout my childhood, you know, with the death of uh, my parents, their parents, and the other things that kind of transpired was, I think, for, for them, and, and I certainly, there's no judgment, honestly, on my part. I've, I've given a lot of those thoughts and feelings. I, I let them go a long time ago, um, is, is guilt because I think they feel like, that I was kind of lost in the shuffle a little bit mm-hmm. and, and neglected. And I think there's there's some guilt on their part to a certain degree about what maybe could have been done better for me during that time, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, they, they kind of grew up, even with the, our parents alive, they grew up kind of having to survive on their own, even when the parents were alive. And so it, it was for them having their own PTSD and their own trauma from childhood experiences and everything that we've, we've gone through, it was like, you're kind of, you just deal with it. You're on your own. You have to figure it out because that's what we did. And it, and to them in that trauma, it made sense. But now as, especially because they're older than me and settled into their lives and stuff, I think that there's a little bit of, you know, sadness and guilt in regards to what happened to me. Yeah, I think that really kind of sums it up rather well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it was, it, you know, so I continued with those with those struggles, and, and when Iz was little and a baby, I mean, a lot of people know my story of homelessness. Um, that's how people got to know me uh, because of my speaking engagements and the stuff that Izzy and I have done in the community. I struggled with, some of those, saw some of those issues that I saw my dad, not the manic, de- like the manic depression thing, but definitely saw even to this day, some of those things that he did that I see in myself being with o- OCD and, and list writing mm-hmm. and the more anxiety or stress I have, the cleaner and neater my life has to be. And I have to be, I continue to have to be really watchful of that, even with my family now, because I get to a level where, like, I get militant about it, and and it can cause stress. So, obviously, living in the world that we are right now, uh, to manage that stress, I have to be really careful. Thankfully, 
coming on the other side of, of everything I've gone through. I live in such a, a, a privileged life now. So very lucky for everything that I have that, that I have a moment to kind of step back and catch myself. But in, in high levels of stress, I like have my list of things and I have a certain way I'm looking at my desk right now where like my, you know, stapler and my pens and my paper are like very much in line right now. Very neat. You know, like I go through those moments. Well, this um, will actually, if you don't mind, I had a, the, one of the questions I wanted to ask you. Sure. Um, so while we're all kind of living in quarantine and living in a global pandemic, given all that you've gone through in your life, I actually was wondering what life lessons did you learn like in throughout your life that you feel like you've been applying in these past few weeks? Oh, so that, that's such a great question. It's so funny because I've been talking about it with, with my husband a lot. So from everything, dealing with a parent that has mental health issues, especially to the extreme my dad had, I always like related to the fact that like I could get off the bus in the afternoon and walk down our driveway, and before we hit the door, before I hit the door to go in, I knew what kind of afternoon it was going to be. It was a sense, mm-hmm. a skill set that I I just could feel something. Mm-hmm. And that I know it, it might sound crazy to people that haven't experienced it. I use it now in the world into which I, you know, I know how to adapt to a situation very quickly. I know when something doesn't feel right. I can read a room really well. Yeah. All of those things that you do... I when you've lived a life like I have or or something you know absolutely I I'll tell you I know exactly what you mean I feel the same and it's been a blessing and a curse in some ways because then sometimes Mm -hmm. you walk into rooms and people don't want you to (laughs) be able to read the room yeah for sure (laughs) yeah but I think it I really do think that when you're a child living with a lot of trauma and a lot of different, you know, changing personalities and situations you need to adapt to, then you really do evolve to learn how to do it. And you get that feeling. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, before this was really in our local area, but I'm like a news junkie, obviously, because of just the nature of the world into which we are at now, it's Mm -hmm. at your fingertips into the work that I do. I'm always kind of reading on trends and different things that were happening. And so when globally they started talking about the coronavirus and COVID-19, and then it kind of had entered the state, but on the West Coast, and you were starting to see things play out in in Seattle and, and how people were, how people were coping with, with something like this and coming from that survival mode where I lived in a homeless shelter for a while. So I, how people deal with, with survival and in panic, I had said to Doug one night, we were on the phone while he was at a, on a break at work. And I had said to him, don't think I'm crazy, but I'm going to go to the grocery store. I feel like I just want to buy a couple of extra things. Hmm. I said, you know, like, bear with me. Please don't think I'm nuts. And he goes, no, like, you know, he's so supportive. And I went and I didn't like buy a fork's worth of toilet paper, but (laughs) I bought like an extra case and I bought some like shelf stable items 
you know, an extra dish detergent, those kinds of things. And I had them like downstairs in our front room for a while and they were just sitting there. And I remember walking back and forth like for two days being like, okay, I'm like embarrassed that I did this. I'm these people that they're talking about on the internet, like (laughs) that went out and purchased extra stuff. Like I said, not a ton, still like socially conscious. Right. Well, yeah. If there was a tangible thing there in my, you know, like in my front room about what I had purchased and then I found myself making a list of things that I would want to get and then I started being like well let me see where we're at in a couple of days and so I started seeing things pop up in our area about that there was a confirmed case and I went to the grocery store again and got instead of waiting usually we do our big grocery shopping on our pay week but I went a week early and just got a couple of extra items and I felt and now I'm sitting in a place where we, where like that skill set and that survival set, we didn't, I didn't, we didn't have to like go to the grocery store in the midst of the panic fight yeah. over toilet paper. And, and, yeah. and we're going to have to go to the grocery store soon. That skill set really served me well in this case. It's so funny. Like I would just get this feeling like, ah. Oh, the news is going to be something that's going to set people off again. And like I said, I don't think it's like I'm clairvoyant by any means or anything like that. But like, it's been like four times now where I've just had this feeling and then it's played out. Yeah. So we went, we went grocery shopping last Friday morning, not for like a lot of stuff, just like a couple of things. It wasn't like a a lot of stuff that we needed, you know, but I was like, no, I feel like we have to go Friday, like Friday morning. I really want to go. And my husband was coming off working for the night and I knew like, I was like, oh, I'm a witch for doing this, but like, I wanted to do it. And sure enough, that afternoon we got the shelter in place order (laughs) and my husband, Doug was like, oh my goodness. Like at this point, like trust your gut. So exactly. every once in a while, he's like, are you having any other feelings? I'm like, no. <laughs> At this point, we're just living this world now. So I don't <laughs> I don't think there is. Yes, this is such a theme. I know many people who have these feelings right now. And so it's wild that you're saying it. And um, I do feel personally that... Women have these instincts, and I have also not only um, been hearing it from fellow women, but also I, like, like, if you read throughout history, like, I'm trying to think of what it was, but I was, I was very, I was listening to something, I think it might have been, um, about, uh, Trotsky in Russia or something but his wife was literally like don't go to this place like I feel like something bad's gonna happen to you and like he didn't listen to his wife and then I think it was like Franz Ferdinand it was Franz Ferdinand when he got killed okay when he got killed yeah and so like his wife was like don't go like something bad's gonna happen I had a dream about it and he's like you're ridiculous and didn't listen to her and he died and so yeah so I feel like like I keep reading these things it's rather interesting Absolutely. So I, I have a question for you. Yeah, sure. Because I've been listening, you know, you've been doing such a good job talking to people from such varying backgrounds and, and circumstances. And it's come up a little bit. But for me, my like one big question for you, and I kind of brought it up myself a little bit is that idea of, of 
because it it just your experiences mold you as a person. Like I wouldn't be who I am today without these experiences, good mm-hmm. and bad. But that question comes up to you. I have the question: Is if you could change it, would you? Like the bad things that have happened. Yeah. Uh no. Mm. I wouldn't. And so it's like, yeah, it's so crazy. I definitely wouldn't because um, I do think that in life, like my deeper meaning of this life is that there's there just really is good and bad. And it's just that's like a universal truth of like this life. But I really do feel like in every bad situation that I've had, so many good things have come from it and yeah. things that I've learned. A little bit of like the intuition that we're speaking of and I there are like very um there's like a lot of research between like people who have had a lot of traumatic experiences and spirituality and so a lot of times I feel like I'm in a good place right now like as good as I can be and I don't think that if I didn't have to like look for the deeper questions by being triggered by these deeper like maybe darker themes in my life I wouldn't be able to find the light so to speak sure yeah so is that how do you feel about it yeah that's um no it's always interesting uh, more so when I've kind of talked about that or asked that question of others that have gone through like crazy experiences you know Mm -hmm. um even if it isn't, like, a, a longer, like, lifetime kind of thing, like, things that we've dealt with, but even, like, those kind of one-time or one-off events that could, could change you. It, it's interesting. Very few people have have said have said that they they wouldn't have, go through that if they, if they could help it. One or two have said it, and that's always been interesting to me that for them – willing that risk of saying, you know, like how much different would you be as a person if you didn't go through that? Yeah. Um, and that ripple effect or that butterfly effect, if you will, of, of, you know, certain things lead you to other things and, and how it influences the outside world and, and the people around you. Yeah. And I, and so there definitely is that, that ripple effect of if I didn't go through everything I, I did and wound up where I was at that very moment, would have would I have would have would Doug have come into my life yeah if I didn't experience the things that I did throughout high school and pencil in Pennsylvania that kind of led me led me to dropping out of Penn State and 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 going back home and trying to survive that way I wouldn't have my daughter and so it's it's just always interesting to think about that those those ripple effects uh, yeah, and I've been uh, I've been thinking this, and I never like I didn't know when the appropriate time to maybe say it is, but I will say it now. And then, like for weeks, I've been thinking of this, but like for the research that we know now is the um, coronavirus came from the mishandling of a bat, and so like in under six months, the mishandling of a bat has changed like every single person's life. <laughs> Yes, I was just saying that to a friend last night on the phone. Like, whoever, now I know some people have said it came from, like, a soup or, like, I don't know, that open-air market. And so I don't, I don't know, I right. know that they, they strongly believe it, it. the genesis is of a bad, and to how it happened, I think, is still, like, a little muddy or murky. Right. Um, but for me, I had said, like, whoever that person was, and regardless of 
you know, how it came to be, right. if it was through consumption or, or whatever other means that, that that took place. Like, one, is that person still alive? And two, do they know what has happened since then, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, like, it's just, like, I, I keep taking that as inspiration in a way. Like, yeah. it's, like, terrible, like, the circumstances of this. But it's just, like, to me, that speaks volumes of one person can make a huge impact um and and it's like the butterfly effect it's that ripple effect it's like the nice thing that you do for somebody today they may think of that tomorrow and do something nice for somebody else and then you know that's how it kind of sure I try a little bit every day my big thing is kindness is free so many things cost us in this world good things and bad things there's a cost but one thing I have found is kindness doesn't have to cost anything even in my bad days or in my moments I really really try and and come back to that that thought that just an extra little hello or or just taking a moment before you respond to an email even could be the difference of someone's day I try and live by that the best that I can I love that. I love that. Well, I appreciate you so much for coming on the show. I have, like, so many more questions about you and your life, and I wanted to actually, um, you know, ask you about your relation to your daughter and a lot of other things, like your weight loss journey. Like, I know you've just really done a lot in your life, so we can't get into that today, but I guess this is me formally asking you if you would be interested in coming back for another episode to discuss those things. (laughs) Oh my goodness, I would love to, especially because I was really excited too to talk about how I got into like punk rock and hardcore music. Yeah, I would love that. That whole life, because that definitely, like, changed who I am as a person as well. Uh, and and a big thing about, too, I made a note, arrested development and what that means. Because I definitely, <laughs> I live in that world. It's so very funny how I straddle the, the very serious nature of the work that I do. And then at the same time, love Harry Styles and Twilight. So that's <laughs> yes, yes. conversation as well. <laughs> well, you're really awesome, Mary Pat. And I really enjoyed oh. this conversation and I'm happy really for to have you. So in a few weeks, I'll figure that out with you. Um, oh, that sounds great. And thank you so much. I mean, from the beginning, our, you know, our relationship really starting with Izzy and doing the TEDx yeah. Doing the TEDx Granton Youth and, and all, you know, getting to meet you and, and Jess and stuff. That has been such a tremendous benefit to our lives. And we're Aww. so very appreciative of all that you do for our community. Oh, thank um, you so much. And Mary continue Pat. to do. Talk about ripple effects. Yeah. Amazing. Well, back at you. I'm feeling the love, too. The same to you, though. Very same. It's been mutually beneficial. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a great day. See you Safe and safe and healthy. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of How We Get By. My recommendation for the week is to take a page out of Mary Pat's book and maybe just put a little bit more kindness into the world. I think the one example that she used is really great. Um, Just simply saying hi to somebody who 
you know, may need it. So that, I guess, is my recommendation. Find one person this week who looks like they might just need either an extra smile or a warm hello. I know that we're wearing masks, so maybe um, the smile might not work. But just to just by if there's another human around and yeah i guess it's kind of hard with social distancing well just be nice to somebody i don't know that's my recommendation that's all i got (laughs) if you like the music at the beginning and the end of the episode that is by joe burke you can find his music on all streaming platforms also go over to Bandcamp, throw him a few dollars his album is available on vinyl it's really great i'm always looking for uh, people who would like to be interviewed for the show so if that's something you're interested in you can reach out to me via the facebook page which is how we get by or send me an email at howwegetby.podcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in making a one-time donation to the show that could help with things like outreach, getting the show out to more people, interviewing people at farther distancing, and upgrading my equipment to make the editing easier, you can do that also by reaching out to me. That is greatly appreciated, but the single most beneficial thing that you can do for the show is to share it uh, either on social media or by word of mouth to have more people be able to listen to these messages and then maybe be inspired to share their own. I feel like we could really make a dent in helping people feel less alone. Other than that, I really do hope that you are all staying sane during the quarantine, uh, staying safe and healthy, and if things are a little bit tough right now, just know that life is always changing. This too shall pass, and I hope that you have a beautiful week. Mm -hmm.